0: It, it's a very uh, it certainly hinders uh, massively our ability to reach the world for Christ. So we're going to be zooming in on that but uh, first some introductory thoughts. Romans is a letter. It, it's you know we had talked about the book of Romans. It was actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the Christians in Rome. And one of the things I find fascinating is the Apostle Paul wrote this letter before having ever been to Rome. He'd never once been at the church in Rome. He hadn't ministered there, uh, but he was anxious to do some ministry in Rome. In fact, he tells us in these opening verses that he had often tried to get to Rome. He had prayed, Lord, let me get to Rome. He was constantly strategizing about it. He had every intention of getting there. Uh, Yet he hadn't been there yet, and he just couldn't wait. Uh, He wanted to preach the gospel to the Romans. And some of that preaching the gospel was preaching the gospel to people who are already Christians. They had already embraced Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They were saved. They were on their way to heaven. But Paul wanted them to understand more fully all that they had in Jesus Christ. Paul believed that he was God's ordained apostle to the Gentiles. Paul was a Jew, but God had said, Paul, I want you to take the gospel to the non-Jews and help them to see that Jesus is their savior too. And so because the Roman church was made up of a lot of Gentiles, and because probably it was the capital of the Roman empire, the greatest empire in the world at the time, Paul was eager to get there. Um, now, one of the tensions that is um, behind the scenes, and it was a in, it was a giant tension in the early church. It's pretty much not an issue today, but it was the ten, it was the tension between the Jews and the Gentile Christians. See, Jew Jews in the early church, when they became Christians, well, they had grown up under the old covenant. They had grown up following the law of Moses, and they figured, and they had become convinced that Jesus Christ was the Messiah foretold by the prophets, and they embraced Jesus as their Messiah, but they assumed that they should still be good Jews who now followed Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. So they continued to circumcise their children, and they ate kosher, and they kept the Jewish festivals, right? And they thought that Gentiles who wanted to become followers of Jesus ought to also become good good Jews, right? Good followers of the law of Moses. And so there was this tremendous tension in the early church where the Jewish believers were telling the Gentile converts to Christ, hey, yeah, but you also got to get circumcised and you've got to eat kosher and you've got to do the Jewish festivals. You've got to be a good Jew because you're following the Jewish Messiah. And the apostle Paul, the, gen, the, the apostle to the Gentiles, had to c- continually school the church in, uh, in what the gospel requirements were for the Gentile. And it did not include Becoming good Jews. It was faith in Jesus. It was uh, you, the, gospel, uh, uh, the law of love a, as uh, witnessed by the Holy Spirit. Massive tension in the early church. And so Paul, some of uh, what's happening in Romans, some of what Paul's a, a, a addressing in Romans, uh, it's because there's the backdrop. That's the backdrop. All right, so pull out your Bibles, if, you've, if you would, to Romans chapter 1. And so we're going to go quickly through the first 15 verses and then sit on 1670. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son. So what does the gospel concern? Jesus, the son of the living God who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, What was sort of the the ultimate proof that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the one uh, sent by God from heaven? His resurrection from the dead, His conquering uh, death itself. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul, uh, by the way, this, uh, this letter was written as a scroll. And so uh, back then, They didn't wait until the end of the scroll to identify who's writing the letter, lest you have to scroll to the end. Uh, They just said, hey, it's me, Paul, and uh, here's who I am, here's here's why I'm writing you, and that's just the way it went. All right, verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. I love this. Paul never met the Romans. He knew some of the Romans, by the way, uh, because when Paul writes this letter, probably A.D. 57... Most likely he's in Corinth at the tail end of his third missionary journey. He's met a lot of Christians throughout Asia Minor. And some of those Christians uh, either were from Rome or had moved to Rome, including uh, Aquila and Priscilla, uh, some favorites of his. And so he knew some of the Christians in Rome, but he'd, he'd never been there and yet he's praying for them. Why? Because he, he is just so keen on the gospel getting out to the Gentiles, and he loves the fact that there's this church that's predominantly Gentile that has uh, a world-renowned faith in Jesus, and he loves that, and he's praying for them, and he wants to get to them to encourage them. Verse 11, for I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers. I've often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And now we get to our verses for today for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, this is, this is the same man who not that many years earlier held on to the cloaks of the people who were stoning Stephen, the first Christian martyr. He, he approved, he supported of the killing of Christians. He made it his personal mission to stamp out uh, this new church. And so he went around round, and he rounded up Christians and he threw them into prison. He was determined to snuff out the gospel. He started out as, as the great persecutor of the gospel and, and now he has become the great promoter of the gospel. What happened? He encountered the risen Lord Jesus, right? He tells us about that somewhere else in the Bible, uh, in Acts, about how on his way to Damascus in order to round up some more Christians, the risen Lord Jesus confronted him and, and revealed to him <laughs> that he was fighting God, and he was fighting God's salvation plan. And Paul converted, utterly and totally converted. And then he spent his life literally in the preaching of the gospel. He realized, I'd been trying to snuff out <laughs> Uh, the, the power of God for salvation, the, the only hope of humanity. And so then he devoted himself uh, to the preaching of the gospel all around the world, and he endured uh, beatings and imprisonment and shipwreck and ultimately death itself. See, God did answer his prayers to go to Rome eventually, and he went to Rome in chains as a prisoner. And he testified all the way in, in front of the imperial court And then he was put to death for his faith in Jesus Christ. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I want that. That's true of me, but I want that to be ever more true of me. I I want there to be no nook and cranny in my heart and mind that is ashamed of the gospel. That doesn't see in the gospel the power of God for salvation, the hope of the world. The answer to every person on the planet's need, no matter what they look like, smell like, where they live. I am not ashamed of the gospel. You know, why, why might a Christian, I mean, this is, is it possible for a Christian to be ashamed of the gospel? Is that really possible? And why, if it is, why, why might a Christian be ashamed of the gospel? I'm not sure that many Christians are ashamed consciously. I mean, on one hand, I'm a Christian because I believe the gospel's saving me, but, but might we be ashamed in 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 maybe a way that that Paul wasn't? Let me give you some possible reasons a Christian in America might be ashamed of the gospel. Well, number one, it's It's so simple and easy. Uh, It's so simple a child can understand it, right? What is the gospel? The gospel is God loves me enough to send his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins. I've sinned. Jesus paid that penalty. And if I'll repent of my sins and put my faith in Jesus, I get saved. My sins get forgiven. I get reconciled to God. And guess what? He's going to take me to heaven when I die. And even now he puts his Holy Spirit within me to help me live uh, a righteous life. A kid could understand that. I understood that as a kid. I became a, a genuine Christian at age six. Now, my understanding of the, of the gospel has been and still is growing, but I, had, I understood it enough to be saved. Uh, you don't have to be intelligent. You don't have to have a degree, right? You could uh, just be very simple and understand the gospel and it save you. And, and frankly, that can be a little bit off-putting to human pride. Uh, in addition to it being simple, it's easy, right? It's, it's easy. Uh, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And there's something within us that wants to earn everything we get so that we can boast in it, right? I'm going to heaven because I'm awesomer than you are, Right? And that feels good, right? I I did what it takes to get to heaven. You didn't. You're going to hell. That's on you. But that's not the biblical t- truth. That's not the gospel. The gospel is we all come, you know, hat in hand as beggars with humble, and we say it's a gift I receive. And that offends human pride. And frankly, that keeps uh, some people from saying yes to Jesus, because. Where's the, you know, where, what's, what's the glory for me? Here's probably, the next two are probably much more, um, much more the case for us. Uh, How about the exclusivity of the gospel? So we live in a culture and all of us, because you live in a culture, you're in, it's like you're the frog in the, in the kettle, right? You're or you're, you're in some kind of a stew and that the, the, it, it wants to seep into you. We live in a culture and it's super, super hard to not have the values and the thinking of the culture seep into us. And so what does culture say about the gospel claim of exclusivity? In other words, uh, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. There is One name under heaven whereby men shall be saved, and that name is Jesus Christ. So, the Christian gospel, the historic Christian gospel, the one that's detailed in the Bible says, You are uh, all people are separated from God and on their way to hell unless they repent and put their faith in Jesus Christ, and then, and only then, can they be reconciled to God and go to heaven. You can't get to heaven. By following the five-fold noble path of the Buddha, you can't get to heaven by being a good Muslim or uh, worshiping your God of choice in India. Now this, if you are listening to anybody, going to school, reading anything uh, within our culture, you know that that is totally, absolutely out of step with the dominant thinking of today. You know, evangelism, Christian evangelism has a terrible, a terrible reputation, uh, in America today, and here's why. It's this idea of, wait, wait a second, wait a second. You are going to go to some other culture that's been around for thousands of years, and, and you're going to de- declare to that culture that their uh, philosophy, their religion, their way of life is actually wrong, and that they need to change? That's doing violence to another culture. But may I submit to you, that's what the Apostle Paul was doing, and that's what Christians have done from the beginning. We go to our neighbor, and we go to other parts of the world, and we say, uh, if you want to do right, if you want to get saved, you have to put aside your idol worship, put aside your religion, and become a Christian. And, and, and uh, then you follow the way of Christ, which is a very different way of living. And it will, if a, if, a culture, if a family does that, if a culture does that, it will alter the culture. And the world we live in says that is evil. That's doing violence to another culture. We hear this all the time in so many different ways. And, and, and Christian people absorb that. It becomes part of our value system if we're not uh, constantly being transformed by the renewing of our mind, right? The Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which means you, you constantly take your thinking and compare it to the scriptures and let the scriptures uh, ch- ch- transform you. So might I suggest that there are many Christians in America who are at a minimum uneasy with the gospel uh, um, assertion that you cannot get to heaven, you cannot be saved apart from repenting of your sins and making Jesus Christ Lord of your life. All other religions, all other philosophies, all other self-help practices won't save you. Might I suggest that there are many, many professing Christians in our, in our nation who are uncomfortable with that, and that I think is if, I, I think that that's pretty much being ashamed of the gospel, and it's certainly going to make you hesitant of proclaiming the gospel like Paul did with, with boldness. Here's another one. What about the moral uh, implications of the gospel? So, um, everybody, you know, most people who have any exposure to uh, the Christian gospel understand that if you become a Christian, you're now supposed to let Jesus uh, lead your life. You have to do life his way. And, then, and the Bible tells us a whole lot about what is his way. And his way is increasingly out of step with the way of the world and that there's there's probably no place where that is more acutely felt than in sexual ethics the biblical sexual ethics the the way of christ with how we think about our bodies how we act in our bodies is is way way out of step with society's uh will and in fact the biblical sexual ethic is considered Repressive. What is the biblical sexual ethic? You have sex only in marriage between a man and a woman. It's simple. It's hard to do, but it's considered repressive. It's considered um, uh, unhealthy. It's considered over-limiting. It's considered you know you're it's you're forcing everybody uh, you know into one particular box. I mean. It's just not. And so, in fact, I read a book not that long ago. Another, uh, there was another Christian leader who was telling me about, oh, I love this book. It's just the greatest book. I thought, okay, I read the book. There was a chapter in the book in which the guy actually said, preachers, do, do not talk about biblical sexual ethics from the pulpit. It's too polarizing. Uh, the people will tune you out and tune you off and they won't give the gospel a fair hearing. The entire chapter. No. If I have to alter the gospel for somebody to believe the gospel, are they believing the gospel? No. The apostle Paul said uh, to the the Ephesians, I did not not, uh, hold back from teaching you the full counsel of God. We can't alter the gospel to please the sensibilities. Here's another thing for young people. Uh, These aren't in my notes. I'm just going now. Um, Listen. Your friends don't need you to be cool in order to, do, to want to embrace the gospel. Right? I, I don't know how many times I, I heard this as a young person, thought this myself. Oh, if, if the cool kids will start following Jesus and it becomes kind of the cool thing to do, are they embracing the gospel if they just want to be you? I mean, there's no, we should be influential, absolutely, but you know, at, at some point... You know, you have to, you're not going to be a true Christian unless you recognize I'm a sinner. I'm separated from God. My only chance of getting saved is to repent of my sins and embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Uh, when I was in college, I, I took a buddy of mine, Khan Ewan. I love Khan. I really wanted Khan to get saved. I took him to hear um, Ravi Zacharias, and uh, it was the very toss Forum at Harvard, and Khan came away from that, and he said, all right. I think I'm willing to believe there's a God. But Mike, do I have to believe I'm a sinner? I said, yeah, if you want to get saved. He said, I cannot believe I'm a sinner. That was it. Done deal. I mean, I don't know uh, if there's been a change in that. But, you know, the gospel, the obstacle to the gospel is not people thinking, I I need more cool people to be, you know. (laughs) It's recognizing that you are in need of being saved. All right. So let's go back to Paul. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, says the apostle Paul. Why? He tells us why. Number one, for it is the power of God for salvation. The apostle Paul had been on three missionary journeys. He himself had been saved. He'd been preaching the gospel and he had seen countless numbers of people who had been saved. Their lives utterly transformed. The the child molester who becomes totally chaste and a defender of children. The drug addict who becomes sober. Uh, the The cheat who becomes honest, right? On and on it goes. He had seen life after life after life transformed. Not self-helped, right? But invaded by the power of God, the love of God in Jesus Christ, overwhelming them, transforming them. Let me share you a couple of stories. So here's from the Jesus Film Project, and this uh, little letter, I get it because of Brenna. Good job, Brenna. Um, so the Jesus Film Project, they, they have a couple of stories, and they're talking about this little Wi-Fi device that she was showing us, and uh, some of the things that are happening. Let me share two of the stories. So, a guy named Ollie, he's in one of these countries where it's illegal to evangelize. He takes the Wi-Fi to a cafe, he turns it on, then he gets away from it, right? That's kind of smart if the police show up. Um, And uh, people are tuning into it like crazy, and then somebody swipes it. It gets stolen. He's like, So he and his buddies are determined to track it down. uh, And uh, what they hear is that um, uh, Miriam from a a nearby village is suspected of stealing it. So uh, he gets some of his friends together and they go go to this village to retrieve this Wi-Fi device. And when we get there, Miriam invites them into her home. And when they walk into the home, it's full of people. And at least 25 of them they know are radical uh, fighters. And they figure, oh, my goodness, we're about to get killed. Um, And instead, in the center of the table is the Wi-Fi device, and it's enshrined with flowers as if if it's some kind of a, you know, something sacred. And then Miriam, there's this tense moment of, oh, what's going to happen to us? And Miriam all of a sudden says, yes i uh, uh, i was the one who stole it without them even accusing her and she picks picks up the wi-fi hands it back to them and uh, when she does everybody in the room stands up on their feet in honor and she says i i was planning to sell it for profit but we all listened and didn't want to stop can you understand it brought changes to all of us. What sort of changes? All of our lives were transformed as we watched and listened. And this, of course, was the story of Jesus. That this entire room, with all of their families, uh, their lives had been transformed by the gospel. Now, here's an, here's another story. This one's, I think, uh, equally incredible. So, uh, another one of these. Uh, countries where it's off limits to evangelize, and, and so this small group of Christians want to take these Wi-Fi devices to uh, a nearby village, but in order to get there, they know they have to pass by one of the, uh, a village that's known for kind of radical uh, Islam and a lot of jihadi fighters, and they're worried about that, but they pray, and they muster up their courage, and they go, and sure enough, as they're trying to pass through the village, they're, they're uh, seized, and they're forced to carry guns to the to the next village. You know, you will carry guns and ammo on our behalf to our radical brothers uh, in the village that they were going to, anyways. Um, and they can't talk them their way out of it. Uh, but as they leave, they hand this group of uh, radical fighters one of these Wi-Fi devices, and then they they head out. They come to the next village, and when they get to the next village. Uh, the village receives them with joy. Yeah, you've come with our guns and our ammo. And, uh, and so nothing they could do about that. But then they hand them the Wi-Fi. And, and instant, they just everybody stopped what they were doing. And on their phones, they pull open the Jesus film. They begin watching. And uh, here's, here's what they say. Um, the fighters literally put down their guns, began watching Jesus. They watched numerous times, began asking the team many questions. My sins can be forgiven? Jesus is God? Is this really true? And they believed. The Holy Spirit transformed their hearts. Every person in that radical village believed. You know what they did? They ended up burying their guns and saying, we're not fighting anymore. So then the team heads back home and they're like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. What happens when the first village finds out uh, what we've done? And it says, as the Christians entered the dangerous village, to their great surprise, the radicals began cheering, smiling, and yelling, you've come back. We used that Wi-Fi box. Watch the film on our phones. It told us that God is the God of love. He is the God of forgiveness, that he can lift all the shame off of us for all the violence and evil we've done. We want want you to tell us more about the Son of God. So here's the point. The Apostle Paul witnessed this kind of stuff all the time because he was on mission, right? He'd been traveling around, he'd been bringing the gospel to people who'd never heard it before and he saw this kind of stuff over and over again. And he had become convinced, not just here, here, deep, deep in his gut, he had become convinced the gospel is the power of God to save people, to transform their lives. I mean, one of the reasons we might be ashamed of the gospel is because we're not talking it up and seeing people get saved by it. It's one of the great privileges of being in ministry. I get to hear and see lives being changed by the gospel and it increases, let me tell you, that increases your confidence in in the gospel and how how uh, needed, how glorious it is and how needed it is. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation. Here's the second point to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, sure, on one hand, he's saying the gospel's for everybody. No matter where you live uh, and the color of your skin, it doesn't matter. Uh, Child, adult, educated, uneducated, rich, poor, the gospel's for you. You can become a follower of Jesus. You can get saved. So it exactly means that. But here, I think, here's what else it means. It's the only means of salvation for absolutely every person. So God forgive me. For looking at. One, one person and saying. You need the gospel. And looking at another person and thinking. Not consciously right. It's, it's just this. Uh, this unconscious. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how much you need the gospel. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to Everyone. Every person, in every culture, no matter what they, no matter what uh, religion they grew up in, no matter what culture they grew up in, no matter what kind of family they grew up in, it is the and the it is the means whereby God wants to save them, and it's and it's the only way that God will save them. So why would I be ashamed of the gospel when it's the power of God for salvation for you? At any time in your life, no matter where you are, I don't care whether you're on top of your game or, or down in the gutter, it is for you. And Paul knew that, he knew. This is the means whereby people can get saved. And therefore, I'm not ashamed of it, even, even when you tell me, I'm here. I think the apostle Paul would say, even when you tell me, Paul, I don't want to hear it. Be quiet, I don't need that. You're weak and you need that, fine. Other people need that, fine. I don't need it. And Paul, he's not ashamed to proclaim it because he knows, yes, you do. It's the power of God for you to get saved. And it's the only way you can get saved and you need to get saved. Do we believe that? Do we really believe that our affluent neighbors, that our bosses, right? That our um, sarcastic nephews, right? Not that I have a sarcastic nephew, I don't. But... Uh, do we really believe that they need the gospel? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Paul says, "Is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek." And then finally, verse 17, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it's written, the righteous shall live by faith. And what he's talking about there is something he uh, expands on in chapter 3, verses 21 to 26, in which he concludes that, and he says, the, the, uh, the gospel was to show his righteousness, God's righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. What he's saying is, and he's just talked about God in his forbearance overlooked the sins of people until the time of Christ. Because if he had, if he had given sin, the punishment it deserved, it would be game over. He waited until Jesus hung on the cross and paid the penalty for sin. And now he says, guess what? If you will let Jesus' uh, death substitute for your for you, then I can be just because I've punished sins on the back of my son Jesus and I can be the justifier of you I can make you righteous just as if you've never sinned and so uh, Paul is Paul is just uh, blown away by the wisdom of God and the glory of the gospel and how God actually sat you know he actually punishes a sin, and at the same time can forgive people because Jesus has died in our place. And he, so you put this together. It's a power of God. It's for for everyone. It is, uh, you know, the the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. And Paul's, he loves the gospel. (laughs) He's like, the gospel is awesome. And I don't care that I'm, you know, sure, I'm beaten for it. I'm in prison for it. I'm ultimately killed for it. It's not going to shut me up because I know better than you what you need. That's really what he's saying. God, forgive us for being ashamed of the gospel. May we be people, may we be a church that is not ashamed of the gospel, because only then are we going to boldly proclaim it unaltered to a world who needs to hear it, to our friends, to our family members, to our co-workers, uh, and and, see, and, and only, only then will we, will we collect, as a church, you know, be aggressive about getting out the gospel. Um, before we go to the affirmation, show me the Club 68 uh, picture. So Club 68, that's our middle school ministry run by Pastor Brian Whitson. And um, this is Friday night. Friday night, uh, the Club 68 Um, normally they meet on Tuesdays, right? Tuesdays, but then once a month, they have this sort of a fun thing on Friday. Now, Brian told me there were 42 kids, and he said only eight of those kids that that he's aware of are Christians. So we've got a ministry where we've got, you know, what? Two-thirds of the kids don't know Jesus, and I just love it. I'm like, the Lord is giving us an opportunity to influence people. And if we get the hearts of these kids through them, the Lord might win the whole family. And here's the challenge. There was Brian Whitson and Kevin Glenn, the only Clearwater leaders. No, 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 no. Let's not have that happen again. There is, an, there is, a, there is a ripe ministry there. And we should, we should I want to have a lot of us with our hands up saying, oh, please let me. Please let me. Okay, so let's not have Brian and one volunteer in the future. Uh, Club 68, find out where God's working and join him, right? He's clearly working at Club 68. He has given favor to this ministry. And um, I'm, I, I love it, partly because it's in our new building, and I feel like the vision for that building is coming to pass. But go see Brian. If you are willing to help out, um, either Tuesday nights with Club 68 or Fridays, um, you know, once a month. He says, you don't have to volunteer every week, but let's just, let's step into this ministry. Final affirmation. Here we go. Nope, that's not my, oh yeah, it is. Okay, there it is. So I'm going to say this out loud. And then if you you want to own this with me, we're going to say it together out loud. So first is me. Because the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes... I'll share it boldly, unaltered, with all people. Though it cost me applause, affection, advancement, or even my earthly life. Let's say that. Aspirational goal. God help us. Ready, together. Because the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, I'll share it boldly, unaltered, with all people, Though it costs me applause, affection, advancement, or even my earthly life. Amen. Now, here's my prayer. My prayer is, Brian and Rochelle, uh, would you mind standing? Brian Wisser and his wife, Rochelle, um, they have planted, what, a year ago? A year and a, year and a half ago. They planted Northridge Church. So privileged to have them here today. Church plants. Church plants very strategic and uh, in reaching people. So we're going to end by praying for your church right now. So everybody, extend a hand to Brian and Rochelle, and we're praying, God, I pray for Brian and Rochelle, Um, total marital health, family health, God, that you would guard the hearts of their children, the minds of their children. Uh, protect them from the evil one. May their home life be just uh, a an oasis of recharge and health and beauty, so that they are not distracted and that they are full of energy to to be on mission. God, would you bring them uh, the strategic partners uh, to take Northridge out into Anchorage with the gospel? Lord, would you energize them as as uh, your missionaries, um, the day-to-day a grind of ministry, Lord. Uh, may they not grow well, uh, weary in well-doing by your Holy Spirit. Just keep them um, impressed with the gospel. Keep them thrilled to be on mission, Lord. And would you meet all their needs, their, their need for people, their need for finances, Lord, and give them the joy of seeing people come to Christ, and, and so that they can teach them to obey all that Christ has commanded. Thank you for this new church in Anchorage. We need it, and we need more of them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.